Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In this episode, you meet Carla Davis, the Vice President of Integrated Marketing and Media at Ulta Beauty. Carla is a high-performing leader whose innovative spirit, influence, and partnership is helping to change the face of beauty. Carla leads the Integrated Marketing Communications and Media team for Ulta Beauty, and in her five years tenure, she has built the Integrated Marketing Communications function for the company, overseeing category marketing, equity communications, media and social strategy, brand partnership development, grand openings, and local marketing. She helped establish the brand's positioning, brand identity, and brand purpose, and launched Ulta Beauty's first ever national advertising campaign. Carla's passion for the diverse and inclusive beauty space has led her to continually advocate for research development, cross-functional initiatives, and communication strategies that ensure all beauty lovers can feel seen, heard, and valued at Ulta Beauty. Her efforts have helped determine a new value for the organization, champion diversity. For her work in multicultural strategy, Carla was recognized as a Hispanic marketing thought leader by HispanicAd.com. More recently, Carla was named to Essence Magazine's pretty powerful list of influential Black beauty executives and became an inaugural member of 25 Black Women in Beauty. From a broader industry perspective, she has been featured in Adweek's Innovators series for inventive marketing, on the main stage for the ANA's Multicultural Summit, and in AdAge's Retail Summit. In response to her career-long impact on the marketing industry, Carla was inducted into the prestigious American Advertising Federation's Hall of Achievements as part of their 2020 class. Prior to Alter Beauty, Carla has held various roles in marketing at Fortune 100 companies such as PepsiCo, Johnson & Johnson, and Kraft Foods. In her personal life, Carla is passionate about empowering others spiritually, financially, and professionally. Through City Point Community Church, an innovative millennial-focused church she co-founded with her husband over 10 years ago, she leads women and couples to spiritual growth and connection. Additionally, after eliminating over $125,000 of debt in two years, she and her husband began the Young and Debtless platform to educate people on how to change mindsets and behaviors for financial freedom. That work has led to YD Investments, their real estate business that invests in underserved communities. Carla also sits on the advisory council for the Chicago chapter of Dress for Success. Carla holds a master's degree in design strategy from IIT's Institute of Design and received her bachelor's degree from Hampton University. Carla is also the loving wife of Demetrius, the proud mama of Layla and an avid traveler, having visited five of the seven continents and counting. She's also Masora of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. And I am so grateful that we were able to have her on the podcast um, for an episode because Carla is a wealth of knowledge. And you'll see from our conversations that the approach that she has to changing what it looks like to feel beautiful and feel seen um, can be felt throughout Ulta. So if you've been, um, if if you're someone who's in the beauty industry and has kept an eye on the brand, you can start to kind of pinpoint where Carla um, took the home for marketing and how that changed how the brand represented um, all all faces of beauty, all facets of beauty. So as always, grab your I Choose the Ladder notebook, your favorite drink, and a pen and get ready to get to work. This episode is brought to you by The Review Planner. 
For many of us, performance review season is about to begin. For many of us, it's also a challenge to remember all of the things that we've done during the year. So what happens is our performance reviews become a one-way conversation where our managers are telling us what they think we did during the year and without proof of our performance, it becomes incredibly hard for us to advocate for that raise, promotion, or new position that we know we deserve. So I created the review planner because I always wanted a tool like this, a systematic way to track all of our career accomplishments that are specifically tied to the feedback and growth areas that our managers are measuring our success by. The review planner helps you create a schedule for your career growth, and it makes it easy to focus on the goals that you have throughout the year. With email templates, monthly checklists, built-in accountability and reminders, the planner keeps you on track to accomplish your goals and ensures you are spending your time on the things that actually move your career forward. I designed the review planner to help you focus on your career and prepare for your annual review so you can confidently speak up for yourself and earn what you deserve. To learn more about the review planner, head to thereviewplanner.com. Again, that's thereviewplanner.com and pre-order yours today. Hi, Carla. Welcome to the podcast. I know that I harassed you for a long time to be like, hey, girl. Hey, Carla. Remember me? I know I always ask you to do stuff, but I want you to do one more extra thing. So thank you for saying yes. You are very welcome. I mean, the many times that you have kind of asked me along and I've been blindly saying yes. <laughs> it hasn't done, you know, it's worked out. So yes, and it worked out. Um, so we're going to get to um, the cool jobs that you have had and some of the, the misconceptions about what it means to work in a cool job. But let's go back to like the very beginning, like this corporate life, this like executive in the corporate space, is that something that you've always known that you wanted to do? Um, and if so, how, and if not, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so that's actually a funny story of how I got there. Cause it wasn't, you know, you also talk about the, like, you can't be what you can't see type of thing. Um, and so it wasn't anything like in my immediate, um, like purview of life, but I tell folks that like, what put me on to the space of corporate, um, and even kind of closer to like what I do right now, which is just, you know, shows you how God can make things work is a movie. Uh, boomerang. Boomerang. Girl. I knew you were going to say boomerang. boomerang. <laughs> classic. Seriously, straight up classic. And like, you know, I was probably like, I don't know, date myself now. I was in middle school or early high school when that movie came out. And like, I, you know, it was all love triangle and all the elements of the movie that were like supposed to be in the forefront. But I came out of watching that movie, like there is something to the work that they're doing there that just like resonates with me in ways I didn't even understand at that point, you know, like something about this, like being in beauty and then like being in a, a space that is like a business and driving what looked like a brand or at that point I was like it was advertising or marketing right like I didn't exactly know what the language was for it but I was just like there's something in that mm -hmm. um, that just seems really interesting to me um, and so I did go to school for advertising 
Okay. Um, and so kind of had thought that that was the space um, that I wanted to, to be in. Um, but then I had to kind of go through the evolution of really figuring out like the whole space of marketing is, you know, nebulous to most people. Even now I've been in it for 20 years. People still don't quite know what I do when I talk to people outside. Um, and so I just had to kind of find my way into more of the space, but that's, that's what gave me the bug. Yeah. So as like, work has evolved, corporate has evolved, the concept of having a strong network and the value that it has on your career development, like is known to people now, right? But thinking back to like more than 20 years ago, when you, you see Boomerang, you decide to go to college and do advertising. Do you have a, a sense of like, I'm going to need a network to get a job or like my parents have a network that I can tap into. Like, how were you thinking about getting from where you were as a 17 year old thinking like this work is interesting to being like, oh, I'm going to have to get a job. Yeah, no, such a great question. Um, and I think like a lot of it was more through like um, folks. So I went to Hampton undergrad and, you know, one of the things that I definitely say, I can't talk to all experiences, but what is in the black college experience that I had was the opportunity to like tap people that looked like me um, because they would like come back for classes. They'd come back for homecoming. They'd come back for these moments where they could, you know, alumni would connect back with the students. So now you can kind of put a face and some like meat around like, okay, I got this like area that I'm interested in. Now this is a person that I can connect with that feels like it looks, you know, like I could do what they're doing now to tell me a little bit more about it. So, so that's what really ended up helping me. Like it was through a couple of programs at Hampton where folks would come back and like would talk about internships that they would had before. So it was even like upperclassmen that would come to classes and talk about like internships that they had in the area. So like one of my first internships while in, um, at school was because an upperclassman came to our, our um, uh, class and told us about having worked um, at the Virginian Pilot which was the newspaper in the area for the summer. So I was like, huh, okay, that's kind of advertising. I think like what she said it was about, let me go see what that is. Mm -hmm. And so I did an internship in that area. And in a similar way, it was kind of these opportunities throughout um, college to hear different ways that people went at going into marketing or going into advertising and finding, um, finding internships in those spaces. But it, it did help that there were people that kind of I could put more, you know, tangible realities to the idea behind to help me navigate it. Mm -hmm. And fun fact, so one of those like alumni going back weekends is how the I Choose the Ladder podcast started. Um, but for the exact opposite reason, because most of us, the Black alumni from my school, we don't go back. And so the one year that we <laughs> did go back, the the students of color, the Black students was like, oh, you all exist. Like, you just get your degree and you bounce and we never hear from y'all. We'll read about you, but there's never a way to put like a face to yep. any of this stuff because you don't come back. And so for me, I knew that I was not going to go back on a regular basis. So it's like, how do I create something that still gives them access, right, yeah. to dope Black women who are doing things and can be virtual mentors um, to help them be able to make those decisions. But like the college experience in terms of what it is for Black people at a PWI in Indiana, right? Like it's just, it's a different mindset. And so it's like, yes, those things have, like, you know, they birthed a couple of things. Some of us is because we go back and some of us is because we don't ever go Absolutely, back. Absolutely, right? Like you figure <laughs> out the gaps and, and some of us help us try to solve for them, you know, um, in different ways. But, you know, it is. It's like one way or another, this ability to to kind of have some tap in or to be the one that's willing to kind of do some helping people navigate is like so crucial. Um, so let's think about, so you've gone, you go to Hampton, you have internships. 
um, what was your first like big girl job where it's like you are now in corporate? Are you anywhere close to that boomerang life or are you like doing something else? Girl, no, please. Uh, so my first big girl job, so it actually morphed out of an internship. So my senior year at um, at Hampton, I actually did a co-op, which was where I went um, away for school for the first semester. And girl, first semester, senior year. So, you know, I was on my hustle because um, that's what it's supposed to be fun. Um, but I went um, I went to Johnson & Johnson and did an internship um, in actual mark like brand management. Okay. And it was just because it was super rare. Again, a woman that went that um uh, graduated from Hampton undergrad came back for a career fair and had like started this co-op actually where she would come and find um students that wanted to to come into brand or come into marketing and um and work on her team so again like you know major advocacy kind of folks setting up ways for us to get in so I took that um that internship and then it just so happened that in that same year they were thinking as an organization on the opportunity of creating a pathway for undergrads to go directly into brand management. Now, for those that don't know a lot about marketing, and like I said, it's like a big amorphous space, like brand management are the people that like run all of, again, the brands that you love, the, you know, a Nike and uh, Ulta Beauty and, uh, you know, any product on the shelf, there are brand managers, people that kind of work as internal entrepreneurs that like run everything from what it looks like, what it talks like to how much it's co it costs. And, um, and that was a part of marketing that I started to learn had really to be very very honest, like most um, uh, autonomy to drive things and were the closest to running your own business. Mm. Um, so getting a chance to kind of go to that co-op, I, I got a chance to even understand that more and why, you know, advertising is great, but um, the decision makers are the marketers, are the brand marketers. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a decision maker. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted to be on that side of the, the, um, of the work. And then when they created this uh, new program, that was the year I was graduating. Mm -hmm. So I got a chance to actually be the first class that went into this Johnson & Johnson program that really took like undergrads, took them through like a micro MBA program and then place them in their brand management um, programs. But I mean, you come in as an analyst, right? Like you are the one pushing the numbers, um, <laughs> you know, like coming up with like all of the, the, the spreadsheets on like how that, you know, promotion did last last week. Like it was not sexy at all. Um, and then thinking back to that time, what was, what did the diversity look like in that first cohort or in at the company at the time? Was it um, because you're going from an HBCU, right? And then you're going into corporate. So that transition, I think for a lot of people um, can be, even if you didn't go to an HBCU and you went to a PWI, just into corporate and how much of a chocolate chip you are in the cookie dough sometimes can be very striking. And so how diverse was it going? And, and if it was not that diverse, how do you make that leap from like being in a pretty much all black excellence world to where now you are one of a few? Yeah, no, real talk. So it, it was not diverse. Um, I think of the program, so they brought in 17 um, um, undergrads into the program and it was across all the different Johnson & Johnson companies. So Johnson & Johnson's actually broken into a bunch of different companies. Mm -hmm. And so we were placed across, I think, six or seven of them. Okay. So there are only two of us that even went to the building that I was in. And I, in my, my whole marketing team, I was the only black person. And there were probably in that division 20 people, you know, 
um, the woman that had hired me by the time I came in wasn't in that group anymore. So, um, so she was still in the building, not on my team. And I was the youngest also by far, because like brand managers typically come in from grad school, which means they have had work experience and they've had two more years of school. So not only was I the only black, I was a youngin compared to everybody else. And so it was, it was this very weird thing about like being able to establish a comfort level um, of executive maturity really early on, right? Because like, even though I was a youngin, like I couldn't show up as a youngin because I already was in this weird place of being likely dismissed for a couple different reasons, right? It couldn't, it definitely couldn't be because like, I didn't know how to like show up in advance, how to like show up in a meeting in a way that brought some presence, you know, like there had to be some elements I had to figure out real quick about executive maturity so that I could even have a voice in the room, you know, even if it was small, but for people to be like, oh yeah, that girl's over here. And this new, you know, this new program that they're creating isn't a waste of our time Mm -hmm. to be working with her, you know? So that, that was a big piece. So typically things like though, executive maturity, executive presence, that stuff you get either with experience or some mentor who sees you a little rough around the edges behind is like, Carla, come over here and let, let, let me bless you. Right. And so for you, how did, how did you get to that? Like, did you have mentors? Was there someone who saw you and was like, all right, like, let me just help her out. Like, how did, what did that look like? Yeah, no, I mean, so a part of it was like, so even though the woman that had um, brought me in as an intern wasn't in my division, thankfully she was still in the building, Mm -hmm. right? So that was probably the first foray into a mentor. And a part of even that, because like I could have worked for her and then moved on and everything, or, you know, she could have moved on, was being intentional about like still establishing that relationship, you know? Um, And so I think that that's something we also, when we get into these new roles where we get so heads down on like, do the work. Like you, you got to look up enough to be able to find the people that might be putting up like a little bit of a, like, Hey, if you need some help, you know, um, reach out, like, don't take that lightly, um, and be intentional about it. Right. So on the one end, don't dismiss it. Like, Oh, I know they're not going to have time for me. Like, no, you are, you know, worthy of somebody's time. So, um, and, and you were brought in because somebody thought you would be worthy to be in here, right? So it's like coming in with that first point of view, but then also being intentional about how you use that time with people so they will continue to open up their time for you, that right? Part that you said, because here's what I think people don't realize. When you waste somebody's time, you don't just ruin it for you. You ruin it for the people who come after you who may potentially not waste their time but they're not willing to take that risk again, right? Like it's, it's, there are domino effects to people um, showing, not showing up as like in their fullness. Like it's not just about you. I completely agree. I mean, like mentorships aren't about like, let me come sit at your feet and you decide what you want to, what nuggets you want to drop on me. You know, like that's not helpful for anybody. The person that you are trying to reach out to is likely and in all ways doing a million different things. And the idea of like reaching back is usually an added element, right? Like if we all want to be very honest, we are selfish people at the core. Um, And so the idea that people are going to extend the space for you is already above and beyond 
average. And so it's like, how do we, how do we think about it like that and make sure that like they are very, very clear on the value that you place on what they've decided to do with that. And so, you know, I wasn't like perfect about it right off at all, you know, but I just, I knew I didn't just show up in a room and be like, so how's it going? You know, like I, I knew I needed to at least show up with like, okay, I have two specific questions I want to ask her, you know, or like something that made it seem like, you know, I had some kind of um, uh, thought behind why I wanted to use that time. So I think she was big. And then I think the other piece too is like, while on the team, I was like, you know, this newbie and there weren't people that, that looked like me. Like, I think it's also not taking for granted that there are other people that don't look like you that are advocates for your success. You know, and I think that like as as black folks, we can tend to get in our in our comfort zones and be uncomfortable about like connecting with people that don't look like like what am I going to talk about or like, I don't know, you know, because they they like these kinds of things and I don't like those kinds of things. But like, I think you will find um, if you're open to it, that there are people that actually have um, that see the value in connecting with you as well that don't look like you and like be open to those pieces too. Uh, Cause there were definitely folks that like were very unlikely little micro mentors, you know that helped me figure out like how to do these these couple little things that like I've never done before. Um, and just like have so appreciated their help along the way. Mm-hmm. And I think um, uh, a misconception that people have is that your mentor is like your homegirl or your homeboy. Yeah, I'm not kicking it right like it's there's there's a a purpose to the relationship and that's not to say it's supposed to be transactional, but like there is intentionality behind who you choose to mentor you who accepts the responsibility of being your mentor, and how that relationship progresses, Um, and there are times where. For me, I think one of the most important ment- most important parts of mentorship is one pushing you out of your comfort zone, right? Like yeah. and um, challenging you to think differently or or consider other options. But two, the person who has the ability to leverage some power on your behalf, right? Yeah. Like, period. And, and yeah. if that person believes in you and believes in your potential and has something of value that they think that they can contribute to your forward progression in your career, you better scoop them up, right? Because a lot of times the people that we, we all want to clamor for the same mentors yeah. and they're tired. There no, are only exactly. so many black female executives in the, in the, in these companies, right? If you look at the statistics, it's wild out here. And that's why they say you give up. It's also understanding if what you need requires a lot of bandwidth, the, the only black executive in your company may not be the right person right now. You are exactly right. I mean, I think that there's so much too about like, you know, not expecting that this mentor is going to be like with you forever and ever and amen, and that you're going to be able to meet with them all this time. Like you find, you know, they talk about like people are around for recent seasons or a lifetime mentors around for reasons, seasons in a lifetime, you know, and like finding out that this mentor might just be, you know, in service of helping me understand merchandise finance, (laughs) you know, and then like that, that's what the role of that space is like, that's okay too, you know, Um, and kind of making sure that, that you don't get so obsessive on this idea that mentorship has like such this massive, massive, um, um, like, role that it has to play and each individual person has to be able to do that. It takes the pressure off you. It takes the pressure off that person too. So I think those are just things to take into consideration as well. So let's talk a little bit, um, and this is actually a conversation we're going to have in a couple of weeks on Instagram, but let's talk about the responsibility of a seat at the table as a black woman, right? So um, 
I think that there are times where we put a lot of pressure on black women who we um, see in high profile roles or have higher titles. And there is an expectation that they are first cousins with Jesus and that they can do anything. They can change anything. And there is some, there is some backlash or some, some unfair and harsh, I think, criticisms when people who look like you feel like you're not doing enough with the seat. So for you as an executive in an industry that has not a lot of color, right? They're trying, but they, they have a long way to go. Do you feel that pressure or like, how do you look at what your responsibility is with your seat? Yeah. So, so yes, I feel the pressure, but I think a lot of it also does even come from myself, right? Like I've, I've drinking, I've drunk the Kool-Aid for better, for worse, right? That like you show up in these spaces so that you can have impact. And while I don't discredit that, I think, yeah, like that can also be a lot of weight to be very honest, right? I mean, even down to, so I had a really interesting conversation with a colleague of mine kind of coming through all of this stuff that happened this summer where, you know, our good, wonderful majorities that are starting to come into some level of wokeness on this, right? Like wanna really kind of now have some conversations with you, you know, (laughs) and, um, and, but what I appreciate about this discussion was the epiphany that she came to that like somehow in all of her thoughts even, um, this white woman, like whenever it had something to do with black, like it was my role to be the one to have a point of view on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like therein also is what creates it. Cause it's not just like other black folks wanting you to be there for the culture every five minutes, but candidly, it's like, well, we got a black person here. So the black person should be able to tell us how to handle this situation. Mm -hmm. And not that I ever expect that like folks that aren't from that life experience should have like what the point of view is on lock, but daggone it, like, I'm going to need you to educate yourself to at least be able to have some point of view on where that would come from, you know? And like, part of it is about like ensuring that it takes the weight off of the individual one person in the room, because again, they're only one and we are not monochromatic. We are not monochromatic, Lord. We are not a monolith. (laughs) We're not monochromatic either. the Thursday. Um, But no, like not being a monolith is also a reality. Like me as a black person, I have a point of view on something that could be very different than your point of view on it uh, watching as well, you know? And so it's this idea of like removing the responsibility from that one person for having a point of view that is going to solve for everybody's thought on this. And at the same time, like creating the space and place for others that don't look like us to to, uh, recognize the responsibility that they hold as well, Mm -hmm. right? And that this cannot be a future forward that is only about like connecting with that one person (laughs) that, you know, looks like whatever we're talking about to have to carry the weight of of bringing that voice to the table. So Mm -hmm. it's a big conversation I've been having internally as well. But so what do you, what would you like your responsibility to be? Like in a dream world where you just get to decide how you use your seat, what would, what would you want to use it for? A great question. I mean, I, I think it's two things. It's like being able to, to, to push the thinking of the groups um, such that we do become smarter together, right? And that we can establish like a, um, uh, a culture wherever I am on it being everybody's role um, to be looking out for everybody, Mm -hmm. right? Like that is where, as I come into these discussions and where I'm trying to make the impact is like building the empathy 
and the sense of both urgency and responsibility of all of us mm -hmm. to figure this thing out. Mm -hmm. um, and the more that I can like drum, you know, drum beat that and get people inspired to be more thoughtful and to, to do the work of understanding all of this stuff, racial inequality, social injustice, like people being inspired to see the value of doing all that stuff and then holding themselves accountable mm -hmm. is something that now I see is more. It's not just about like bringing people that look like me in like that is that's a table stakes, right? Mm -hmm. It's bringing the people in that look like me and that look like what we all you know like what this country looks like but then it's also making everybody inside feel like they really really have the accountability of making this place work for everybody so that that's what to be honest i feel like what makes it sustainable because the minute that senior person leaves if it's not ingrained into the culture people go back to what's comfortable yep. you know you get a new so. ceo with new priorities and it's like oh yeah like that was a moment that was a a pet, like, and we look at, we see this with like causes, right? So depending on what the CEO cares about, the, the philanthropy dollars go to like autism because they may have somebody in their family and they leave and the companies, the new CEO is like, actually, I care about whales. And so now you're doing, and so it's like you're really? all over the place. And, Absolutely. but you can't treat a population of people who are ever present within your organizations as if they are a disposable commodity, right? Like it just doesn't. Right. Like they can't be the priority of the day, you know, and, and it can't flip like that. Like it needs to be an integrated in element of the culture. Um, and, and, you, and people got to see the value of like us all owning this, you know, and it's all of our job. Um, and so that that's where I really kind of want to lean in um, more and more um, as I move forward. So let's talk about hair for a second. So you work in the beauty industry where the defined standards of what beauty is has heavily impacted what professionalism in corporate looks like, right? So for a really long time, and I would say even still now, there were like two acceptable professional like black girl hairstyles. So it's either a blowout that was like long and you look like, you know, you got Indian in your family or it was like a short pixie cut, right? Like the, the, the level of variety that you saw, at least on, on, on black women who were public facing or who were uh, customer facing, there wasn't much deviation from that. We're starting to see um, a lot of that changed. You have sister locks mm -hmm. and you are in marketing. So you are outward facing for the company a lot. Did you think about, and I know before this, you, I know the process of how you got to your sister locks. You were wearing <laughs> locks anyway, faux locks. And you're like, you know what? Stop playing, Carla. Like just, just commit to it. Pretty much. <laughs> how did you mentally get yourself to that place though? Because I think a lot of times, especially with something like locks, they're so permanent, right? Like you couldn't change your mind tomorrow because it took like 17 hours to get the locks in. Girl, try 30, okay? Try 30. 30 hours, oh my God, right? So how do you think about one beauty and how do you think that huh, we can, or are we getting to a place where the different ways that beauty shows up on Black women will become more mainstream or accepted? Like what is our role in that? Yeah, no. So all, all great questions. And yeah, we, we could make this whole podcast about care if we wanted to, but we're going to keep it to this one question. So, um, or the two part question. So on, on the first piece, as it relates to like, you know, the role of beauty and how I've seen it evolve and, you know, like where I think people are overall. And then like, how did that play into my hair decision? So I think the first piece of it to be very, um, 
like transparent with it. Like this has been something I have struggled with all of my career. And one of the reasons I wanted to move into beauty ultimately, right? Like I saw it kind of as this big sexy thing when I first you know, saw it in Boomerang, but because it had been such a struggle of my own, I'm like, this is broken, you know? Like we need somebody on the inside that is like helping to fix this because I have always had like these ups and downs with what I wanted to do with my hair, right? And like, I am not one, you know, full transparency that really likes doing my hair, you know? So I struggled with like, what is the consistent effort that I wanna put into hair? I also go back and forth on like how um, athletic I wanted to be and what that impact means. And to your point, being in corporate America and starting really young in corporate America, right? And always trying to like prove that I am like, you know, able to hang out with people older and able to be, what these folks are looking like it's always it had been a lot on my mind along the way um and especially through more some of the more conservative roles that i've had along the way like you know i moved out of johnson and johnson um moved into pepsico which is this big you know brand but again i was super young coming into there and even though there's a lot of diversity that shows up in their brands not a lot of diversity you know in the parts of the business that i worked on so it was always still this element of it so one of the pieces was moving over and i think that like you know there have been some catalysts in the last couple of years that have really helped to put like the realities of what a black woman faces in having to show up every day front and center and i've been so so thankful for that like i still remember when fenty beauty hit the shelves at sephora um and what like whirlwind that put our organization on on like rethinking what the consumer needed, who the consumer was, and what it was going to take to win. Um, like she put folks on notice mm -hmm. in a way that had not happened in the beauty industry in decades. Mm -hmm. And I think it made people have to reassess. like, no, there's a whole group here that has not had a voice, but clearly has a lot of dollars mm -hmm. that we are not tapping. And we need to be thinking about and talking to them differently. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, you know, at this point, probably like two and a half years ago. So, you know, when you think about the, the journey of people's careers, like that's incredibly recent, but it's been a part of some processes that you've seen where now the door has opened back up to the fact that like the voice of this group needs to be heard more clearly. Mm -hmm. And it has manifested itself in a couple other places too. I think you couple that with what just had been happening in our industry and in, or just in our culture with like the evolution of natural hair and folks being like, no, this is something I really, really, really want to do. Um, and like, it can't be something that like becomes a issue for me to move forward, but that has also pushed through the lens of social, a ability for that conversation to be had too. So I think you've kind of seen both the social impetus of people's voice and then like the very real dollars mm -hmm. that people started to see moving towards um, uh, black, uh, black focused brands that have created the space for people to start to get a little bit more comfortable with the conversation. Um, I will say though, when I decided to move to Ulta Beauty, I made a very just a specific decision. Up until then, I had been kind of all over the place with how I was doing my hair and I would try different things out. I showed up for the interview in the hairstyle that I knew I would want to have if I was going to be there. Um, and that was a very intentional decision, right? And it has changed around since then, but I was like, if they can't take this one, <laughs> then I'm not going to be a good fit moving forward anyway. Um, and so that was one of the things that I think has now given me license to be all over because I was like, like natural 
pretty early in this, especially even for my organization, I was coming in. So I was like, I'm going to show up like this. And if they can get down with this, <laughs> then if I decide to do any other things, at least I've created a baseline. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really has given me the opportunity to play around because I'm like, hey, you know, this one was going to be real out there for them. And if folks, you know, were still saying, yes, give her the job with this kind of hairstyle, then I think I got a little more license to push as I need to. So this is what I, maybe now that y'all are hearing it from somebody else, y'all won't think that I'm just saying this stuff, right? And it's like when you're dating, right? When you show up with your representative and the real you shows up and you're like, what? If you <laughs> want, like I say, show up how you plan to be at least 80% of the time. If Absolutely. you plan to be natural almost 80% of the time and you show up with a blowout, you can't get mad when you don't show up with a blowout. And people are like, what? And there's like confusion, right? Yes, you can change your hair. Yes, you can do those things. However, like it's up to you to show up in your fullness And then you both decide if your fullness fits with their fullness or lack thereof, right? Like you have to do that from the start. I completely agree. I mean, and it is like, I think when you're younger in your career, right? And you are like going for these options and you just feel like you need so many of these like stair steps to get ahead. Like I just would be mindful of setting a precedence where you are getting into a box for other people early on, right? Mm -hmm. Because you will continue to do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, And it will not bode you well for what actually then makes you stand out as you get more senior, which is the ability to stand alone and the ability to be comfortable enough in your own skin to have a definitive point of view on things. And so like, those are the elements that you just kind of need to challenge in yourself when you're going into the space Mm -hmm. um, and be okay with recognizing, this is the other thing where we can go into watching, you know, like financial, like setting yourself up for like, being, you know, in a place and and being mindful of like what you feel like you have to make or the places you have to be in order to support a lifestyle. Because if it boxes you into that means the only place I can be in is in a place that doesn't let me be me, then like, you're going to feel that every day. And everyone else in your life will feel it as well. Absolutely. Um, So we're going to do like, I think we'll probably have time for like two more questions for the lightning round. But because of the pandemic, because of the level of fear that um, I think Black people, right, the December numbers just got released, Black women were like 84,000 of the 144,000 jobs that were lost in December, right? And so for a lot of people, there's a sense of like, I, I want to hold on to what I have, even though it's not necessarily like what I want. So can you think back to maybe a time in your career where you felt stuck? And like, what were some tangible things that you did to get some forward motion to actually like allow you to let go of what you thought was going to happen to just be open to like, I say God, but people can use whatever word that they want, whatever God like had for you in terms of your next steps. Yeah, no, and I'm with you. I mean, it definitely is one of those where um, it is a faith walk, you know, in those in those places because you don't know what it's going to look like on the other end. And I, I just have, have been um, very blessed to be able to like navigate them in ways that, that have worked out, but I did not know, right? Like it wasn't like it was very clear that these things were going to work. So I think one of the, the first ones was, um, and it even kind of goes into a little bit of like career um, uh, uh, advice that I had gotten was I had been at one company for a really long time, um, did exactly what my mentor told me not to do, which is don't run from a job, run to a job. Um, but yeah, I was over it. I've been there long. <laughs> I felt like I wasn't getting what I needed, you know, and that like, I didn't see anything else that was going to excite me. And I jumped to another company and not even two weeks in, I was like, 
yeah, this, this ain't it. <laughs> like, this is absolutely not it. It was like the bad rebound boyfriend that like, you knew you didn't like him, but you know, you try to get over the other thing. And so, um, and so, yeah, it kind of got me in the spot where I'm like, okay, wow. I know I did not make the right decision here. Hmm. I can't make another wrong decision. You know what I'm saying? So I'm going to have to figure out how I work through this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so there are a couple things that I did in the interim, right? Like one was, and I think it was absolutely one of those spaces where like you find, find the blessings and all the things is it was definitely the place that pushed my patience and my gratitude. Like I found that like during that time in order to show up every day, right? Like I had to connect to the value that I could find in what I was doing, right? So that I wasn't walking around nasty and bitter to everybody when it was my fault that I was there in the first place you know, or it was like, you know, these circumstances that they just work, they just work for now. It is not fair for me to show that on my face or in the way that I show up because like, I still want to show up and deliver regardless of, um, of any kind of situation. So I think that was the first thing was like a very intentional push on, um, on gratitude during that time frame and patience, you know, um, because the patience piece then, then came into, okay, what am I running to, you know? And how do I start to just get real, real clear on like, what are the things that I feel like I need in the next role? um, And what are the pieces that I'm looking out for and that I would be open to, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think you're right, like in this space where people aren't quite sure, like every place isn't going to check all your, all your boxes, right? So I think people are going to have to, in the process of this, figure out like, what are the non-negotiables, but what are the pieces that like, I'm just going to have to let go of for a little bit here because this world isn't isn't the way, you know, it's not going to be my oyster in the short term here. Mm-hmm. So it was also kind of setting those parameters um, because it gave me a better perspective on like what next could look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be a little broader than where I had been thinking so that I didn't get like so distraught on there isn't anything that fits this, 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 and this exactly that like I'm, I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that those were the two big pieces of it because, like, where I went next, like, wasn't necessarily perfect either. Candidly, it was where I met you, Miss Watching. Um, ah! But <laughs> it did hit. Oh, you are them. generous. You said not perfect either, baby. <laughs> Girl, you know, we just we gonna keep it keep it real. We gonna keep it cute. We gonna keep it cute. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, But like, if I look back, like it did actually hit the most important elements of it for me, right? I got what I needed out of that space because those were what I hit. And I kind of, you know, let some of these other pieces be while I was in that transition. So yeah, I think it was those two pieces to just kind of keep top of mind as well. So let's talk about stereotypes really quickly. I know that you know, when people, so for example, you've done this work, now you know what you deserve, you know what you want. So when you go into these places and you ask boldly for it, sometimes like people are afraid that they might, Black women specifically, you don't want to appear too aggressive. You want don't want to appear greedy. You don't want to. And so we, sometimes we shortcut ourselves because we're like, we really want this job. And if I ask for too much, I'm not going to get it. And then we don't ask for enough. We get it. And six months in, we're like, dang, I'm like, I'm undervalued. And then we're miserable and the cycle starts all over again. So as you think about career navigation around promotions, new jobs, how do you think about stereotypes and what do you let those stereotypes, do you let those stereotypes impact how you communicate what it is that you want and need? Mm -hmm. I mean, the short is no. I think it is acknowledging that they're there. 
Um, and so like not being ignorant to them, but I know that there's also some elements of like, what do I know is real about who I am? And I think even back to the conversation that we were having, and this is like, are, are y'all gonna buy what I am? Or is this not a good fit for either one of us? You know what I'm saying? And so I think that that's a, a piece of it. I think one of the other elements that I tend to just naturally be, so I, I am appreciative of this, but it's something for people to be mindful of as they're coming in these pieces, is that this idea of assuming positive intent, right? Because the jacked up part of it is the reality of the disconnects on stereotypes are because people are ignorant in the most like, classic way of thinking about that, right? And so if we don't take every every jab or every concern as malicious um, and be willing to assume some positive tent or candidly just some ignorance, does it just roll off your back a little bit more? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that sometimes we as Black women, because of the PTSD that is our life, right? Like we can find the shades and all the things, you know? And that is exhausting. You know what I'm saying? And so there's two things to that, which, you know, rest in peace for you, but it's like, get get some get some support on, on that because it's a real thing, right? And not wanting to discredit the PTSD that exists in our worlds, um, but knowing we need some help often in doing that because the less you can continue to get triggered by things that happen, I think we actually can be comfortable with like, as we're navigating through it, almost either not seeing or not being as impacted by the concerns of stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's part of the big pieces on the front end, um, because the more you like buy into them or feel like everybody is, you will find yourself shrinking um, in the process of that in a way that won't have you delivering in the way that you want to anyway. And the last question before the, um, the lightning round, and this is because I know your business, but you are a whole wife, a whole mom, a huge job, um, oh. called pastor of church. You also have real estate investments and all these things. Like, how do you, how do you make sure that Carla, the person before she was all of those things doesn't get swallowed up by all of those things? Girl, that one is a journey and like tr full transparency. It is not something I have figured out well. Um, I find that I have to do a lot of resetting because mm -hmm. my default is to like lean into all those things, mm -hmm. you know, and be um, and be left with, with not a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. So I do find that like intentional resets, I find that through a couple of things, like I have a couple girlfriends, right? That are the ones that kind of pull me back into like, what are you doing for you? Or mm -hmm. when was the last time you had some self-care, you know? Um, or even like, you know, pre-COVID and I'm looking forward to it when everything opens back up, like having these, these away moments mm -hmm. with the girlfriends, right? But I, I have to um, like pencil in resets so that I can make sure that I am re-looking at the balances or the integrations of all of these things, because otherwise you just go, 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 and you can find yourself kind of shrinking into um, what's left. Mm -hmm. And um, and that is not healthy for, for mama. And what ain't happy for mama ain't healthy for anybody else. <laughs> Nobody. It's going down. It's going down. Um, okay. So let's go to the lightning round questions. These are, um, and you're actually going to get a new lightning round question today. But so don't think about it. It's the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, what's one piece of career advice that you wish you'd gotten earlier in, in your career? So this one actually is about failing. 
Um, and because, you know, you see so much about like success and wanting to be a success and as a black woman, like needing to keep having wins, learn how to fail, like how to be comfortable with failures, mm -hmm. because the bigger risks you take in the future will be predicated on how comfortable you are with if things don't go your way. Mm -hmm. So be, be okay with some of the failures that you have along the way. Um, what's a career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact on your career? That one is probably the difference between um, being a good peer um, and what it means to like have people around you that like like to work with you and really being able to lead leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's different, right? Like what it means to show up to lead leaders mm -hmm. um, and to develop people is very different than managing folks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's something that has, has absolutely been a journey for me um, because it, it takes a different type of skill set. It takes a different type of work. Um, and, um, and it's something that you have to, to be intentional about or it'll just turn into more of a, um, like you, you won't build leaders and you won't build a leadership mentality. Mm. Um, what's one book that you could read over and over again? Mm, so it's actually a book I read not too long ago, like this whole COVID thing. Um, it actually was Water Dancer. Mm. Um, and it took me a while to first get into it, but I just, I mean, Tom Nahasi Coates is just like a genius with the words. And it was just really cool to see him go into um, nonfiction and paint these pictures of this world um, that actually was like a storytelling with some love in it and some strife, but also social commentary um, in a really, really unique way. So that was pretty dope. Um, we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? I would hope that people would say that um, Carla knows how to get things done in a way that inspires us all to be better. Mm. So. And then the last question that nobody else has been asked yet, so you're the first one. So at the end of this year, Forbes is doing a cover story on your career. What's the title of that story? Wow. Keep it simple. And it, and it has to be on your career for just this year, right? Just like, as you know, it's wild. So just 2021, they're doing a, a cover story on like, Carla Davis at the end of the year about this year, what's the title? It would have to be something like, um, came out of COVID crushing it. Ooh, you can tell you're a marketer. Oh my God, I hate, you. hate to see it. You didn't even see the question and you're already like, got it, but. Whatever. <laughs> With that, thank you so much, Carla. Um, this was awesome. We probably could have talked for hours about some of these things, but thank you so much for making the time and congratulations on the new position. Thank you. Thank you. And always a pleasure, Miss Watcher. Like, I just feel so fortunate to have people like Carla who are walking this earth, who are willing to share um, everything that they've learned um, in an effort to make sure that we are all better. And you all know that I like to end each episode with my top three. And I'm going to be honest, it was hard um, for this episode. But the first thing that I would say is the ability to assume positive intent. I think that a lot of the times we are um, immediately triggered because the things that are common knowledge to us for some people is just not common knowledge. And so we assume some malice or we assume um, just like ill will and the ability to assume that people are coming from a good place, I think, changes how we engage with each other. And that's both professionally and personally. The second thing, and I love this, we talk about this all the time, is running 
to a job as opposed to running from a job. So you feel stuck and the first thing that comes along, you take it. And then what you don't realize is that you're just repeating the same cycle over and over again. So when you are presented with an opportunity, the question to ask yourself is, am I running from something or am I running to something? And then I think the thing that, um, the third part that sticks out the most to me is what Carla wanted her responsibility of a seat at the table to be. I think that as people, we all get to decide how we show up without feel, having to feel like we carry the weight of everyone else on our shoulders. And I think that to hear how she has defined it for herself may be different than how you would define it for yourself when you get that seat or if you are currently at that seat. And what I walked away from, from the conversation feeling is like, it is okay. However you decide to use the opportunities and the resources that you have for the betterment of yourself, for your people, for people in general. It's up to you to decide what that looks like and don't feel guilt about your the way that it looks for you looking different than what it may look for somebody else. Um, as always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can find us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder, on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder, or by subscribing to our newsletter by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Until next time, thank you for listening.